Hello and welcome to this last in the current series of Out in South London with me, Rosie Wilby on Resonance 104.4 FM. Open there with a festive track from our one of our favourite artists, Rufus Wainwright, that's Spotlight on Christmas. So we've got lots to pack in as usual in the show. In the second half of the programme, we'll be talking to the director of the Above the Stag panto that's on at the moment that I saw on Sunday. Andrew, Andrew Beckett is the director and the show is Get Aladdin. We'll be talking about that a little bit later on. But first of all, um, the Lion and Unicorn Theatre, a lovely pub theatre I hadn't been to before in Kentish Town, currently has the Grassroots Shakespeare London Company in residence and they're performing alternate nights. One night they're performing A Midsummer Night's Dream. The following night they're performing The Tempest um, and they're going to be on until the 5th of January. And Myself and producer Sabine got on down there last Monday night to see their first dress rehearsal, an open dress rehearsal rehearsal and it's a really interesting company because they do gender blind casting and in A Midsummer Night's Dream the role of Helena who yearns for the love of Demetrius is actually played by a man Adam Blompier which sort of harks back to the old school Shakespeare when women of course um weren't allowed to act and actually uh, a lot of men played female parts but uh, it was an interesting wonderful production and I met Adam and Siobhan Daly the head of the company just over a week ago and asked Adam how it came about that he was playing the role of Helena audition for Grassroots on Spotlight a number of weeks ago uh, I got in contact personally because I, I really love the plays of I especially love Midsummer Night's Dream. I've never been in The Tempest before, but I've been in about... This is my fourth Midsummer Night's Dream in total. And I've... One of the reasons why I was so kind of uh, you know anxious to kind of get seen by grassroots is I love Midsummer so much and I love the part of Helena from like the first audition. I really wanted to audition for her and I knew Mm. that they were a gender-blind company. And so in the very first round of auditions, they asked me what speech I was going to do and I did Helena (laughs) because, well, I knew what I wanted. So you were aware of grassroots then? Yeah, absolutely. And I really liked their company ethos. You know, no gender-specific casting at all. Yeah. I love the kind of no-director angle. I love the devising element because it was something yes. I haven't done a lot of. I mean, I did some at university and it got me really hungry to do. did a bit of drama school, but just not enough because you're always, you know... If you're working with the director you like, that's great, but if not, it's really hard to get your voice heard. And one of the nice things about grassroots is everyone's voice is heard all the time. Yes, that comes across, actually. And had you you played female characters at all? Only in sketch comedy. Mm. I, I... write and perform with, with a, a sketch group called males. that's right yeah. yeah so we it's a very different kind of being yeah. a woman yeah. uh, because very it is very much the monty python kind of he's a very naughty boy sort of uh, you well, know, wig the, on shrill the play voice. within the play has a bit of that exactly yeah it, um it, that's what kind of really made it a challenge as well because i'm so used to what the style that Stuart did in the play within the play Mm -hmm. and it was a real tough challenge because knowing that I had that to be compared to I really had to work hard to make the woman not a pantomime character but just Mm -hmm. something more realistic and more acceptable than that. What what do you think it brings to the role the fact that it it is a man playing it? Um, I think there's a great deal of fun to be had physically. I, mm. I mean, the the lovers fight scene is just so much fun. I think we can push each other further, uh, like you know the slap and and the jumping around, and it's that great kind of sense of physicality that I think could be fun if uh, if it's non gender specific. But also, I think it, it's it can make it more just 
I don't know, more, more emphatic, really. I, I think because yeah. you really do, in order to for it to not be like kind of it's just a man in drag, you really have to get to the meaning of the lines because otherwise yeah. people will just tune out and just look at the bloke in the dress. You really have got to find the meaning behind the lines and it makes you work twice as hard. Yes. And I think I've, yeah, I think a lot of clarity has come out of like some of the lover scenes because of that. And yeah. of course, like everyone else has been such But can you even make it a point about a man loving another man and how that sort of, it sometimes feels very forbidden and inaccessible. Yeah, absolutely. You know? Yeah, the the relationship between Demetrius and Helena, you know, the way he turns at the end is these feelings that he's always had for Helena. Yeah. But society, and finally, only at the end, can he let go of kind of the society's rules and stuff like that. Absolutely. Oh. Siobhan, tell us a little bit about this particular production and what you think the company sort of brought to Midsummer Night's Dream? Well, I think the company's fantastic, really, uh, because they devise everything themselves. It's obviously we're original uh, practices companies, so we try to strip back you know, years of people layering onto what they think Shakespeare should be performed mm. like, generally with a sort of Olivier-style voice, and that's <laughs> how it should be delivered. But actually, you know, I feel quite passionate about the fact that these are real human stories, that they're really... They really connect to you so I just think that what we bring to it is this sort of sense of fun and accessibility you don't feel you have to have done an English degree to come and watch yeah. one of our shows or you don't have to feel like you belong to some sort of elite club of um, understandings sort or of Elizabethan English you can come and actually connect to the humanity in a story so I think that's what we do differently there's a real sense of joy and collaboration in our company and you know, just ima- imagination I think more than anything mm. you know, we're not dictated to by a director we all work work together like Adam said with lots of voices yes. and you know we've come up in four weeks with two extraordinary shows that we think are just West End worthy yeah and that, well they're actually running do you alternate the two shows then they're running together so right. um rep theatre sometimes you'd have one week of one show yes, and the next one would be a completely different show but because we're uh, we like a challenge at grassroots <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. we're we running the shows <laughs> together so tomorrow night we have a um, midsummer night stream at 6 p.m and then yeah. the tempest at 8 30 Wow, yeah. Wow. It's like a turnaround of about... <laughs> 15 <laughs> minutes! That's all you need. Yeah. <laughs> so what else have you got coming up? Because you've got another production next year as well. We you? do. We're doing Othello next April. It's running from April till May at the Lion and Unicorn Theatre in Kentish Town. And we're really looking forward to that. Although I think we might feel a bit lazy because we have four weeks to do one show. So. Uh, <laughs> I might suggest another one. Yeah. And tell us a bit about... Um, you actually got some funding from some rather famous yeah. theatres. Yes, we people. did. How, did. how did that come about? <laughs> well, uh, we decided to get in contact with some people such as Sir Ian McKellen, uh, Mark Rylance, Sir Nicholas Heitner, and the other Sir Tom, Tom Stoppard. Ah, yeah. <laughs> yes, and they all very kindly agreed to support us, and which has been phenomenal. I mean, to, to have people like Ian McKellen actually significantly invest in your company and say they're going to come and see it. For people, have, they been, have they been to see it? He's coming to see it. Oh, and it's amazing really for people at the sort of level of our, our career you know often you, you'd think that you'd wait like another 20 years before Ian McKellen comes to see you <laughs> in a show so um, it's absolutely amazing I think it shows the generosity of in spirit of these people and how much they want to encourage new talent you know that 
if you have the, I suppose, the vision and the ambition to make these things happen, that there are people to support you. You can you can put these things on. It's not impossible. Yeah. So we, we're lucky. We've got some great great backers and people to believe in us. And I think that's really helped the class as well to know that they are in a show where you, you have to really up your game. And yeah, absolutely. Amazing people want to help you. <laughs> Get We've your got show a distinguished crowd coming. We, we have to do. Build a distinguished <laughs> show. Brilliant. Um, I suppose what uh, originally motivated me to set up the company was that yeah. I really felt that there was room for an original practices company in London, in a sort of already existing theatre companies that were here. Uh, I originally guess I, I thought that it would be something nice for actors to do while they were maybe out of work and we could all get together and work together as an ensemble and we see, see what happens. And original practices, if we were doing it strictly original practices, we'd probably only have about 15 hours rehearsal. So the idea oh, was yeah. it was quite a compressed rehearsal schedule right. anyway and it would be something fun we could do. But it really took off and people loved it and they really loved this uh, creative accessible way of and they found one of the nicest things I've ever come across is someone saying to me two ladies had a very colourful vernacular language and they <laughs> came to see um, one of our shows last summer and they said you know they'd hated Shakespeare at school but they'd loved our production and for me that's my motivation is you know, actually making people feel that they can connect to these plays that like I said you know you don't have to have any special knowledge to just come and enjoy your night at the theatre. I mean, what mm. I love about the company so much is it feels like it's theatre that's come out of a toy box. I mean, it mm. really is like everyone pitching in and providing their own costumes, everyone pitching in to provide other people's costumes. Yeah. It, it creates like, like this glorious hodgepodge of different <laughs> styles and colours, and it really does feel like, you know, we're all getting together and just telling stories, you know, without like the kind of the sheen of spectacle or something like mm. that, which can sometimes suck the life out of a production, I think. And it really feels like, you know, we're telling each other stories like we used to be told as kids mm. in that style, and that's well, what makes it so special. Engages the audience's imagination more anyway because mm. we we're creating the scene yeah. anyway. Yeah, yeah. that's true. Layering on the fairy dust yeah. uh, ourselves, and which I, perhaps I think is, like is if better. you go and see plays that have a director's concept. So say it's a Midsummer Night's Dream, and a director would say to you, "It's yeah, setting 1920s England. Oh, yeah. We're all going to speak in Noel Coward accents." I think actually it'd be really limiting with people's creativity. You know, you're told to stand there, look like this, cry mm. now, and. I like the, the fact that there's a different sense of energy that comes from working collaboratively. I mean, when all the characters come from like different time periods and they all come from different, they <laughs> yeah. all have different yeah. looks, then yeah. all they can be is the characters. You Absolutely. know, they don't, they can't be this part of this kind of inhibiting landscape. They have to stand out on their own merit. Well, we went straight into a piece of music there that is Different Words for Snow, which was a collection released a few, about three years ago now, by Aoife Mannix, the wonderful lesbian poet who you might have heard on Radio 4 Saturday Live and on this very show. And she collaborated with a musician, Janie Armour. That track is called London, December the 25th, which of course I'm playing because it, it nearly is London in December the 25th. It nearly is Christmas time, would you believe it? I hope you've got all your presents ready. And uh, my next guest, Maybe he's got his uh, his Christmas presents uh, in his bag. I don't know. Uh, Andrew Beckett. Hello, Andrew. Hello. Hello. It's great to meet you. Now, obviously, we've got you on your director and actor. We've got you on to talk about the Above the Stag Panto. But we were just talking, hearing a minute ago from the Grassroots Shakespeare London Company about their production, which is running at the moment, A Midsummer Night's Dream and The Tempest at, until the 5th of January at The Lion and Unicorn. Um, have you done any Shakespeare in your time? Yeah, um, I spent a couple of months uh, touring the States with um, 
comedy of errors. Ah, play, yeah, okay. uh, playing as an actor, um, the Dromeo character. So um, both of them, right? Uh, which was which was a lot of fun. I think it's so important that people are kind of still getting excited about Shakespeare, and our, our kind of you know productions were always kind of reinventions, and you know we kind of set it in Falaraki, you know, two thousand and ten, yeah. which is when we went. Um, and uh, yeah, it was really exciting to kind of do that for an American audience as well, who kind of don't, they're not as into the European kind of clubbing, uh, you know, uh, that, that we, we do, you know, yeah. here, that, those kind of holidays. So it was okay. uh, fascinating to do that. Yeah. Mm, interesting. Well, tell us a bit about um, Above the Stag's interpretation of Get Aladdin. Not, not quite Shakespeare, but... Um... Not quite Shakespeare, <laughs> too. It's, but still uh, a, a lot of fun. It's definitely not Lear. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, tell us about your involvement with that. Um, well, um, I've directed the production, um, mm-hmm. and uh, the director of the Above the Stag kind of pantos get... They yeah. get on board really early. I mean, Above the Stag is a, we should explain, is a theatre company in London that have been going a, a few years, a uh, good few years? Almost five years. Almost yes. five years. Um, and they lost their permanent home just yeah, about yeah, a year ago, which is a lovely shame. Um, small venue, uh, mm. which was above... Um, a pub called the, the Stag. A pub called the Stag, behind yes. the... Um, uh, the uh, where Billy Elliot is, I think it's called. Oh, the in Palace, Victoria. Palace. Yeah. And, um, yeah. and unfortunately got bulldozed for the new Victoria extension. Oh. And so no. we were just beginning to kind of get our kind of, you know, find our feet and get a great reputation for the theatre that we were doing. And, mm. um, and suddenly we lost our home. So uh, mm. we've now spent a year looking for our new home. And uh, but we were very aware that our uh, pantos at Christmas be were getting a really nice reputation, a really supportive audience. Yes, so you we, couldn't not have one. So so we thought, what do we do? You know, we're kind yeah. of having all these emails coming in, and, um, and so we thought we must put it on somewhere else. And so we found the Landor Theatre in yes, Clapham. Yes, in Clapham, brilliant. Um, and they were fantastic, and just said, look, come on in. We, we they had seen um, some of our previous work, so they kind of knew exactly what they were getting mm. uh, before we arrived, and. Um, yeah, it was really nice to kind of turn up to a, another family at the Landor that, we, you know, we're kind of ready to have our stag family, you know, because yes. we, we very much have an ethos of a kind of a really lovely kind of... A close-knit uh, a close, sort of yeah. group. Absolutely, yes, yeah, absolutely. I got that feeling from the production. Um, and so, you, so you've so you been working with them for about a year. And h- yeah. how long have you been working on this actual show? Um 5th of August, which is my birthday. Uh, this ah, is where I remember the I date. <laughs> yes, um, you were very specific. Yeah. yeah um, so a long time, you know, from the very first mm, draft that okay. um, uh, the, the writers, uh, John and Martin, kind of send through to you and you kind of start to say, well, this is great. Now, how do we kind of <laughs> put this onto a stage? And, and they get a little bit carried away because they, they almost write for TV. It's that kind of, you know, that sometimes as a director, it's a great opportunity to work with new writing that you can go, yeah. let's just pull this in and let's you know, let's find a great kind of, you know, dramatic ending of Act One, the cliffhanger. And oh, yeah. So you, you suddenly, it becomes a real creative process that everyone can get involved in and mm. the designer comes on board really early and we're mm-hmm. blessed with a, a lovely guy called David Shields. Yeah, I thought actually considering it, I mean, it's a small theatre, you know the, the sort of the way the set kind of twisted round to reveal the whole new world. Uh, you know every every few scenes was was great. He, I mean he he really is incredible. I mean his really last resourceful show was and designed for an arena. Yeah, and so then for him to come and design something <laughs> so small and, and make it feel quite epic um, yeah. was was really wonderful. Um, yeah, definitely. And so you were involved with the casting of the show, I take yeah, it. Yeah, absolutely. So let, let's sort of chat a bit about some of the the members of the cast. I, I was quite a fan. Me and my friend Lisa who came with me we were fans of Matthew Baldwin Matthew who's the, Baldwin. the baddie 
d- delightful man. I mean, he mm. this is his third year, I think, doing the Above the Stag Panto. Right. He played the Dame last year. Oh, did he? And okay. played the Baddie the year before. So maybe we're going to uh, kind of put oh, him I as the Dame he, he, next year. All right, okay. He's alternating. He's a good he, Baddie. He's a fantastic Baddie, and he just he <laughs> works the room, and it's and he's so meticulous. Everything yes. he does, it's it's very well crafted. People a lot of the time think that he's just throwing all these ad libs out there, but they're very well thought through. He uses ad libs more than once if it works really well yeah. for an audience, and and so he just has this wonderful relationship with them that he can be nasty. But they all seem but to they love like him. him. I, don't yeah. know, I don't know how yeah, he yeah. does it. It's, yeah, it's, no, it's, it's a wonderful to watch a such trick. a talented guy at work. Yeah. Absolutely. And well, talking of ad-libbing, um, Josh uh, Roachford, who played Widow Twanky, did yes. a, a fair bit of ad-libbing on the night that I saw on Sunday night, which he, he just made brilliant. Um, it, it was great. What I think is wonderful about his ad-libs is that because, of course, with a panto script, they the writers, they want to write as much of that as they can so that they can say <laughs> it's all them. So he works between the scripted ad-libs as it were and, um, his, own. and his own you know and it's 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 really wonderful that sometimes i forget that one of them's even in the script and think, mm. oh, that was a great ad-lib from oh, him tonight. Oh, I see. And it's actually in the script. And then another one, you'll go, wow, yeah. that's fantastic that you've just come up with that. Well, what happened when when I was there was, I assume it was completely ad-lib because he, there was a line he couldn't um, get out. He sort of stumbled over it and then just went, oh, it wasn't that funny anyway. <laughs> <laughs> no, that definitely wasn't in the script. <laughs> I wouldn't have thought that they would have put that in the script. But um, what, what I did uh, think was great about the script was that there's a lot of um, really sort of you know, quite on the bone um, topical references as well, you know, uh, and even, you know, a really good sort of comment about gay marriage. Um, yeah. So I think there were, there were a lot of those. Um, and interestingly, the audience on, on Sunday, maybe it was because it was a Sunday at six o'clock, like they were sometimes a bit slow getting them. Yeah, <laughs> you thought, absolutely. oh, come on, audience. And keep you, up. See, you see, you start to see, you know, the Friday night that there's people, they finish work, they've had a few <laughs> drinks, it's their Christmas. Yeah, a bit on a Friday out, night, they were like, and they're, you totally know, crazy. And then you get the, the what I always think is the, the listeners on a Sunday afternoon. So it's funny uh, that you yeah. didn't see the, the, uh, two o'clock show um, because I kind of managed to watch that one and and people really listen they laugh at all ah. you know it, it's a very it's a very interesting kind of patterns that you see to start yeah. to emerge from those kind of audiences definitely and an interesting audience as well because obviously a lot of gay men because it is very much a camp panto yeah. and it, you know it's, yeah. that's I suppose it's very much it's it's kind of main audience but I was sitting next to a guy who I thought was gay but um, he then we got chatting in the interval and he said oh, I'm here with my wife and two sons and pointed them out and they were having a brilliant time so Fantastic, you know yeah. um, I mean but but a lot of the cast actually said oh hello boys and girls you of know course. <laughs> I mean it's, 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 it's some nights they have 60 gay men in the audience and, <laughs> and suddenly their lines about you know girls <laughs> suddenly kind of goes out the window so they have yeah. to find the youngest twink in the room and kind of make some kind of reference um but a lot of the time we, we've we've had an audience um last week that was predominantly women and i've never oh, seen okay. so many women oh, in, in, in yeah. the room um, mm. but there was one big kind of group and then you know lots of lots of um couples it was, it was yeah. really lovely yeah. and and some great women in the cast as well i particularly liked sarah Dearlove, who's the genie fabulous i mean yeah. i think certainly within the kind of fringe world is that when uh, female actresses start to get older they, they, they get fewer and fewer and yes. as soon as we saw in the room it was a case of how do we get her you know because uh-huh. she was wonderful I mean she works the room like she's everyone's best friend and you know kind of just has that that wonderful you know, mature lady kind of um, relationship with everyone. It's, mm. it, it's it's a it's a it's a she's been she's been there. She gets the great song um, "No Time at All" from yeah. Pippin, and it's yeah. it's yeah. really about being wise and older and yet having a bit of fun. And she's she's great at that. She really is. 
Fantastic. And so uh, tell us a bit about your own acting as well, because th- there was um, one production I was, uh, and above the stag production on your um, roundup in the programme I thought sounded interesting, Sleeping with Straight Men. What was that? Oh, well, um, that was the last production they did in their, their old home. Um, oh, yeah. And it was uh, oh, it's a wonderful American playwright. Um, called something Larson I can't remember his oh, first name oh, um, okay. but he it's um it was based uh, on a true story um a, an American TV show like a Jerry Springer style oh, show yeah. that um it, they were declaring uh, their love for people that didn't know you know they were in love with them and uh this gay man goes on to the show and declares his love for a straight man oh. and um as it kind of went on, the uh, straight man shot the gay man <gasps> and it went to court uh, in oh. America. And it was a massive, massive case Gosh, in the States. Yeah, yeah. Um, and it was kind of talking about the morality of TV and did they have, you know, kind of, um, was it their, res- you know, responsibility that this, this young guy got shot? Um, and the case is fascinating. I mean, to, wow. we, it's, it was a very condensed version and it was a dark comedy, how it's being written. Right. And, and I, I was lucky to play the, very the kind of the comedy character yeah. of the, you know, the gay stylist who, who kind of was showing the real kind of fickle side of television. Wow. Um, and it's, it's great to play a role like that because you, you kind of get to say some amazing lines. Um, the, and when it's dark comedy, you know, it's, it really provokes something in the audience, but you're doing it with a, a wink and a, and a smile. So Fantastic. Yeah, well, I, I, we have to round up, I'm afraid, oh. Andrew, but it's brilliant to meet you. Um, AboveTheStag.com will have all the details of Get Aladdin, which runs till the 13th of January and is a hoot, I must say. Um, and that's at the Landor in Clapham North. Um, so we've got a couple of plugs before we go. Next week, Tuesday, I won't be here, but at our usual time or around about then, at 7 o'clock, you can listen to Marlena Dietrich, Beyond Top Hat and Tails, which is... A feature produced by our producer, our Out in South London producer, Sabine, and presented by Clayton Littlewood, who we've had on the show a few times, takes a closer look at why she became a gay icon. And our own, our very own Christmas special is on Thursday, the 27th of December at six o'clock, with myself joined by the writer and entertainer Amy LeMay and performer Brian Lobel, picking out 2012's LGBT cultural highlights and their own personal highlights of the year and looking forward to 2013 with me and I thought it was sort of in in keeping really with the queer spirit of out in South London that uh, my festive Christmas guests were an American and a Jew Um, so why not Um, so you can also catch us back in our normal slot when we come back on air for the new series on the 8th of January with the Half Hour magazine 6.30 till 7 and also I will be on stage at the Canal Cafe Theatre on the 10th of January with a brand new show we'll play out with a little bit of David McCall and his wonderful Have Yourself a Merry Christmas. Oh, no, that's not it. Um, Here it is. And, uh, well, enjoy it, and please do listen in to us next Tuesday.